morning church family. We're reading from 1 Peter 1, 3 to 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, living a hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, though now, though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith and salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was real to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced. To you, through those who preach the good news, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thanks Sally and uh, Freya as well. <laughs> uh, good morning, my name's Dan. I'm one of the pastors here at Wyoming Church of Christ. And uh, particularly a warm welcome to you this morning if you're visiting us, as it were. Uh, I know that many neighbours and friends and family members and workmates have been invited to join us this morning for Easter Sunday. And so welcome to you if that's you. Even though it's a bit of a weird Easter Sunday, isn't it? It's really bizarre. I don't think there's been one like this for, well, say a century or longer. Uh, particularly if you're a kid this morning, you probably didn't get all that far on your Easter egg hunt uh, because we're all stuck inside. Uh, this is an Easter Sunday like no other. Uh, even this is a time of year where families often go away with each other on vacation but this year it's more of a staycation isn't it and perhaps parents uh, if you're stuck at home with certain other guests on this staycation uh, you might be thinking geez I, I wouldn't mind going on a, a private staycation right now away from these other guests who are very noisy and eat all the food of course this is also a time of year where uh, on Easter Sunday many Aussies come to church uh, and we as a church gather together, but we can't really do that today, can we? We're not physically gathered together. And so, again, it's a really strange Easter Sunday. Uh, this coronavirus really has turned the world upside down. And now we're staring down the barrel of this continuing for perhaps weeks, maybe even months months of quarantine, months of school closure, months of scrambling for toilet paper and pasta and flour. Now I wonder how you feel about all that. 
I wonder how you feel about the weeks and perhaps months ahead. Maybe you feel surprised. Probably all of us feel somewhat surprised. I mean, none of us guessed that this is what Easter Sunday and the weeks to follow would look like at the beginning of 2020. Maybe you just feel like you're over it, like you've been watching the ABC news cycle on repeat and you're just sick of hearing about this coronavirus. But maybe you feel something a little bit deeper. Maybe anxiety. Maybe you feel stressed. Maybe you feel lonely. Maybe disillusioned, uncertain, insecure. Whether these feelings are are there on the surface, at the, the forefront of your mind, dominating your attention, or they're sort of lurking in the background, maybe even being pushed back because there are things that we need to just get on with. You know, the more I talk with people, the more they mention that they're feeling things like this, anxiety, stress, insecurity, uncertainty, loneliness. Perhaps some of you have lost your jobs. Perhaps some of you are facing fewer hours at work. Perhaps some of you, uh, your super has plummeted. You're wondering all that that means for, for the years ahead. Maybe the bills are coming in, but there isn't money coming in to match it. And you're looking at it going, how on earth am I going to make this work? Maybe the kids are struggling with home learning. Maybe you're pulling triple duty as a parent between uh, parenting them and working and now also being their school teacher. Maybe you're just stressed out of your brain. Maybe you're feeling sick. Maybe you're at risk. Maybe every time you go to the shops and you see someone wearing one of those masks and they're getting in your social distance bubble, your chest just tightens a little bit. Maybe you're stuck at home with nobody else around. Or maybe you're doing okay. Maybe things are fine. But you're looking at the world around and you're just thinking, geez, this is going to hell in a handbasket. Here's the question that all of us face at a time like this. Where do we get our hope from? Where do we get our hope from What can we hold on to that will actually get us through a time like this? And there was an article in The Guardian just a couple of weeks ago that started with these words. uh, Much like toilet paper, these days hope is in short supply. I think that's quite true. Uh, Where do you get your hope from? Well, maybe it's from knowing that we're all in this together, right? Maybe you've seen things around and one is going to come up on the screen just now. Uh, This is uh, in Narara. You might recognise the bridge if you've been out on a family walk. Uh, Apparently all around the world, uh, parents, as they've been going out with their kids for a a family walk, they've brought chalk with them and just done little messages on the sidewalk saying things like, have a nice day or we'll get through this, we're all in this together. And it's quite sweet, isn't it? It's a good reminder. But the problem is, rain washes away the chalk. That reminder doesn't remain. Or perhaps you've seen the ads on Channel 7 with all the celebrities. Seems like it's playing all the time. You know, the one with Dr. Harry and Matt Preston and a bunch of other celebrities that, you know, I don't recognise them. 
uh, and they're reminding us to keep safe and we're all in this together. We're with you. The problem is that's only kind of true, isn't it? I mean, if you lose your job, is Matt Preston there to help you? If you get sick and go into self-isolation, can Dr. Harry lend you a hand? We all know it's just sort of an empty gesture. In fact, really, uh, leave the celebrities out of it, there's only so much togetherness we can have at a time like this. I mean, my wife and I can't even go together to go and visit our parents. That's forbidden by law at the moment. There's only so much togetherness, there's only so much help anyone can give, especially if someone gets sick. See, we can't ultimately find hope from the sentimental idea that we're all in this together, as sad as that is to say. Maybe you're holding on to hope for a vaccine and uh, scientists are working around the clock. Uh, They will one day crack this thing and perhaps you're thinking, great, because when that day comes, it's back to life as normal. But here's the problem with that. Even though scientists are working hard and even though they're going to crack it one day, who knows when that's going to be? Some people are saying it could be six months. Some are saying it could be a year or even longer. And who knows what's going to happen between now and then as this thing keeps perhaps growing and mutating. Who knows? Who is it going to affect? Is it going to come for you by the time that happens? We can't ultimately put our hope in the idea of a vaccine coming at just the right time. And nor can we put our hope, unfortunately, in the idea that life is going to return to normal. I mean, we all know this. We know that this virus has changed the world forever. There is something that is going to change dramatically even when we all go back outside. Things will change for the better, but some things will change for the worse. There's going to be new struggles, new pain, new difficulties. We can't hold on to the the fact or the hope that life is just going to go back to normal. Nor can we hold on to hope in steady work or a robust immune system or savings in the bank. Now, this virus has shown just how fragile all these things really are. Even worse, it's actually showed us how fragile life itself is. All it takes is some invisible germs, germs, Uh, floating about in space to bring the world to its knees. And it doesn't just affect our livelihoods, but potentially our very lives. At the end of the day, we are so frail. Probably you saw the news in the last couple of weeks that Boris Johnson, the, the Prime Minister of the UK, he went into ICU. It comes for world leaders I read in the news just this week, uh, there was a 13-year-old overseas that died and a five-year-old that died. No one is safe. This thing could hit any of us. So where do we find our hope? Hope that doesn't disappoint. You know, not hope that, that washes away with the rain, even though it's very sweet, like chalk on the sidewalk. Uh, nor hope that leaves us isolated and alone in our homes even though it promises that we're all in this together nor hope that fades away when the bank balance depletes 
or our jobs go away, nor hope that fails to address our biggest issue, the issue of life and death itself. Where can we find true hope? And this is where understanding the meaning of Easter is so important. Because at Easter, we can actually remember that Jesus came to give us exactly this kind of hope, true hope that doesn't disappoint. And so listen to these words from today's Bible reading. And again, if you have a Bible, um, this is a great time to have 1 Peter chapter 1 open in front of you. Uh, If you don't, uh, you could look it up on a phone or a tablet. Just plug in 1 Peter 1 in Google. Uh, Alternatively, we can have some of the, the words from the verses popping up on the screen. So look at the way that Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, starts this section in his letter. He says this in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just notice Peter's joy as he says those words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if you received a text message from someone and they said something like, Oh, you won't believe what I'm about to tell you. And that sort of primes you for how to read the rest of the message, right? You're going to expect that there's going to be some sort of surprising story that you're about to hear. Well, here, at the start of Peter's section of this letter, you can hear the joy. And so what's going to follow, we can expect that there's very good news to follow. Peter is stoked about something. In fact, the whole Bible reading that we heard this morning from Sally is just one long sentence in the original language. It starts in verse 3, it goes all the way down to verse 12. It's just one long stream of consciousness sentence. Peter is absolutely overwhelmed and stoked by something. In fact, he's stoked about something that God has done. What has God done? Read on. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy and just pause there according to his great mercy now i don't know what picture you have of god like if you were to go on to google images and say put in a search term to try and find a picture that matches your image of god what would you put in would you put in something like you know wise old grandfather or angry judge or invisible friend what would you put in Here's something that Peter would put in. He'd put the words, great mercy. It says here, he is a God of great mercy. And now hear this, mercy only makes sense if you understand why we need mercy in the first place. Here's the reality. This is so crucial to understand about the way that people relate to the God of the Bible. We have all ignored this God. He's the king of all creation. He's the creator of all things. We've all ignored him and run life in our own way, the way that we think is right, the way that we see fit. And in so doing, we failed to love God and failed to love other people, the people he's made, as we ought to. And so there's a day coming where God will bring judgment. In fact, the Bible puts it this way elsewhere in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It is appointed for man to die once. 
and after that comes judgment. Now, this is hard news to hear, but it's the fate that we all face. Yeah, in a sense, uh, the coronavirus has really only heightened our awareness of how fragile life is, uh, but the reality is that we are all going to die, every single one of us, one day. And after we die comes judgment, when this God will call us to account for the way that we've lived, the way that we've treated him, the way that we've treated other people. And on that day, we will deserve to forfeit the life that this God has generously given us. We will face an eternity in hell apart from this God. But remember what Peter said. He is a God of great mercy. Judgment is coming. But this God offers a way to escape from that judgment. He's merciful. He looks at us and and loves us and wants to do something to save us. What has he done to accomplish this? According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, where we face death and judgment, God offers us life. The opportunity to be born again to new life. This is the promise of a living hope. Not the kind that washes away with the rain or disappears with our jobs or leaves us alone in our homes or even fades away when we die. This is true and living hope. One that brings true life. And how does it come? Can you see it there in that verse? We are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now that's interesting. I think that's really interesting because this hope hinges on an event in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I wonder what you think about that. I wonder if as you hear that, you go, oh, well, geez, like I might as well just turn off this live stream right now because that didn't happen. Yep, I get that maybe Jesus was a real dude and he walked around in the world but certainly wasn't raised from the dead. Yeah, that's a fairy tale, that's a myth, that's certainly not true. And so, you know, this hope that the Bible talks about, it's no hope at all. It's based on a myth. Yeah, what's interesting is that the Bible actually makes that very same argument. It doesn't agree with it, but it makes that very same argument. You see, uh, and this is something that people misunderstand about Christianity. Sometimes they believe that Um, The Bible calls us to check our brains at the door, as it were, in order to believe in Jesus and believe these things are true. Like, you know, you walk into church and you hang up your brain on a a coat hook or something and you just come in and, and it's all just about emotion. But in actual fact, the Bible calls us to use our brains. Read this in in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 17 to 19. This is a different letter that a guy called Paul wrote. Hear what he says. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who've fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Do you hear what he's saying there? He's saying, hey, it's true. If Jesus really isn't raised from the dead, there's no hope at all. In essence, 
uh, Christianity actually says, hey, I'm putting my head on the chopping block here. Come and take a swing. Come and see if these things are really true. You believe Jesus didn't rise from the dead? Well, yeah, logically it's true that if that, if that holds true, then uh, there is no hope. But here's my question for you. Have you investigated these things for yourself? Have you spent the time actually investigating whether it is true or false that Jesus indeed has risen from the dead? Have you taken the time or just gone off things that you've heard? And if you were someone that thought, hey, you know, I am actually keen to investigate these things, then here's a couple of things you might look into. You might look into the idea of the empty tomb. You see, uh, the tomb in which Jesus was buried by Roman soldiers, uh, rather by uh, two men and a, a company of Roman soldiers uh, 2,000 odd years ago, uh, was a, a tomb that was in public. He wasn't actually thrown into a mass grave. And in that tomb, or rather in front of that to- tomb, a huge sto- stone was rolled in front of it. And then there were guards posted in front of that stone. Now, here's the interesting fact of history. Uh, Roman guards, if they lost the thing that they were supposed to be guarding, so say the disciples came and and stole Jesus' body, then those guards would have to be killed in the place of the thing that they lost. So literally their lives hang on their ability to do their job well. See, what you've got here is Jesus being buried in a known place with a huge stone rolled in front of it and then a number of guards whose lives depend on them successfully guarding this body. And yet, on the third day after Jesus was buried, his followers claimed to see him risen from the dead. And what's very fascinating is that in contemporary historical sources around that time, uh, sources outside the Bible, Roman historical sources, there is no mention of any alternative explanation for why this tomb is empty. There's no mention of something like, oh, well, we all saw Jesus' body that had been dragged out of the tomb by someone. Or, oh, no, we all saw the disciples steal the body. There's no explanation like that from history at the time. How do you explain the empty tomb? Here's another thing you might look into. The witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. You see, the Bible makes the startling claim that a number of people saw Jesus risen from the dead. Some were the women that first went to the tomb and found it empty. Uh, some were his disciples, his followers. And then at one point in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, it claims that 500 people at the same time saw Jesus raised from the dead. Now, uh, if Nigel, one of my good mates, who's uh, a bit of a larrikin, if he came to me and he said, you won't believe it, Dan, Rob Jenner has got a spray tan and he's shaved his head. Rob's our senior pastor, the guy he was praying before, right? He's got a spray tan, he's shaved his head. I'd go, yeah, right, Nigel, yeah, good one. Come up with a convincing lie next time, mate. (laughs) But what if 500 people at the same time said, no, no, it's true, we saw him. We all saw him at the same time shaving his head. Well, then I go, geez, it sounds ridiculous. But if so many people at the same time saw it, then maybe it's actually true. See, the Bible makes this claim that, that there were witnesses at the time who saw these things. They could have been interviewed. They could have been asked. And in fact, many of the records we have in the Bible are are drawn from interviews with these witnesses. 
have you read them for yourself? As another thing, uh, the disciples who claim to see Jesus risen from the dead, well, on first reading, that might not seem like all that good evidence, right? Like, of course, these guys are going to say that Jesus was risen from the dead. But put it this way. After Jesus was crucified, his disciples lost all hope. The Bible actually records that they went back to their old jobs as as fishermen. They went into hiding. They were in fear. They certainly didn't expect that he was going to rise from the dead. And yet, sometime after, they're out there in the public square, courageously proclaiming that Jesus is risen from the dead. And in fact, many of them went on to give their lives for that. Peter, the, the writer of the letter that we're reading today, He was actually crucified, according to history. He was crucified just like Jesus because he proclaimed that Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead. Now, here's a question. If you know something not to be true, if you know that what you're saying is just a hoax, just a lie, just something for your own gain, then would you give your life for it? Would you go to your death for that lie? See, really the only explanation here is that these guys really believed these things to be true. And sources outside the Bible say that as well. They comment that uh, these followers really believed, really proclaimed that Jesus was risen from the dead and gave their lives for that truth. How do you explain that? How do you explain the witnesses to Jesus' resurrection? See, these things are worth investigating. And one thing I'll do that might help you is um, I'm going to post a link on Facebook and on our church website later today. Uh, It's just a short podcast by a guy named John Dixon. Uh, He is a former historian from Macquarie University. He's a doctor of history. Uh, He uh, has some really fascinating points that you'll you'll really enjoy engaging with uh, if you would like to investigate this evidence a little bit more. Uh, But here's the main point. God, in his great mercy, offers us a living The kind of hope that doesn't disappoint. And that's because it's anchored in a fact of history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The very thing that we're remembering today on Easter Sunday. Now, why does Jesus' resurrection give us hope? It's one thing to say that this is historical fact. That Jesus was raised from the dead 2,000 odd years ago. But here we are today. How is it that this thing in distant history could bring hope to us today? Well, we need to keep reading through 1 Peter. And what we see here is it's because of two reasons. Firstly, it's because Jesus' resurrection secures our future. And secondly, it's because Jesus' resurrection makes sense of our suffering. So read on with me here from verse 4. And just to pick up from the end of verse 3, remember, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See, Since Jesus was raised to new life, then those who trust in him will also 
be raised to new life. Death is not the end. We will be raised to receive an inheritance, as it says there in verse 4. So we will die, we will be raised to life as Jesus was, and then we receive an inheritance. Now think about that word. Think about the word inheritance. When do you receive an inheritance? Well, not yet. Only after somebody dies. So first we die and and then we'll be raised and then we receive this inheritance. But here's the second thing about an inheritance. Do you earn an inheritance? Well, no. Nobody earns an inheritance. It's actually earned by someone else and then given to you as a gift. Think about that. It's the same case here. right? What do we deserve? What have we earned in our lifetime? We actually deserve God's judgment, like I was saying before. It's a scary thought, but remember, after we die, we face judgment, and God will examine our lives and judge how we've treated him and treated others. I've sometimes used the illustration that it's like a, a movie of our life will play, and I don't know whether that's really what's going to happen or not, but just picture it like that for a moment. It's like there's a movie of our life playing, right? And running over the top of this movie, covering every scene, public and private, is an audio commentary of our thoughts, even our most private thoughts. Now, can you imagine if your family and your friends were watching this movie and hearing this audio commentary? Yeah, if that were me, I'd be the first one scrambling for the power button. You know, how do I shut this thing off? There is a day coming where God will examine us, the sum total of our lives, everything we've done, everything we've thought. And we all know that if anyone was to watch that movie, they would see that we don't measure up. We don't even meet our own standards, let alone God's. And so from God's point of view, anything less than perfect love for him and love for the people that he's made actually earns for us his judgment, eternity apart from him in hell. We can't work our way out of it. We can't bargain our way out of it. There's no amount of good things we can do to fix it. We can't earn God's forgiveness. But when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says he took our judgment, the judgment we deserve, in our place. He actually faced the judgment of God for us. And then when he rose from the dead, he promised that he will raise us to life also as people who are now free from that judgment. This isn't something that we've earned. It's something that Jesus has earned on our behalf. His death in our place, his resurrection to become our resurrection. That's the inheritance. It's something we don't earn, but Jesus earns for us. And what is this inheritance? Well, look at the end of verse 4. It's something kept in heaven for you. God is actually keeping this inheritance in store. It's kept in heaven, the gift of eternal life with God and his people forever. And just think about that, right? This world is not as it should be. We're all very aware of that with this virus at the moment. But eternal life is exactly as God has created and planned it to be. Free from suffering, free from pain, 
our tears wiped away, free from futility, free from sin, free from death. The opposite of what we deserve. And yet this is exactly the future that God secures for us. Because Jesus rose to new life, he will raise us to eternal life as well. Jesus' resurrection means your future is secure. But notice, oh, firstly, actually, just notice something about this inheritance. Verse 4, uh, it's imperishable. It won't go out of date like the hordes of food in some people's cupboards. It's undefiled. No disease can touch it. It's unfading. It doesn't disappear with our employment status or bank balance or absence of loved ones or even death itself. Unlike every other source of hope in this world, this one can't be taken from us. Remember, it's kept by God in heaven for us. Our hope, our future is secure. However, notice that this secure future doesn't automatically apply to everyone. Verse 5 says that it only applies to those who have faith in Jesus. It says that who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. And faith just means trust, right? If you want to put an image to it, it's, it's leaning your weight onto something or someone. It's, it's resting into them, right? It's trusting their word, even if what they've said isn't visible yet. These promises, this secure future, only applies to those who personally trust in Jesus, who trust that his death was for them because they deserve God's judgment, and his resurrection means that they will be raised to eternal life. It's only for them. Is that you? Do you trust that Jesus took your sin on the cross and faced God's judgment for you? Do you trust that his resurrection means resurrection life for you? That whatever happens in the coming months or years, that your future really is secure in Christ? Do you trust him? This all comes through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And that's the first reason why Jesus' resurrection gives us a living hope. That by faith, he secures our future and no one and nothing can take it away. Here's the second reason. Jesus' resurrection gives us hope because it makes sense of our suffering. Read on with me in verse 6. In this, that is, in the inheritance that you have through Jesus' resurrection, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now just pause on that. There's a promise here that suffering is temporary. Suffering is temporary. And notice what it's not saying. It's not saying that those who trust Jesus will be spared from suffering. Right? There are some people who claim to be Christians who are making that kind of argument at the moment. And particularly, uh, unfortunately, in America, if you've seen the news, you've seen things about this perhaps, uh, there are people claiming to be Christians that will go and they'll still gather in public places with disregard for other people uh, because they're saying, well, God is protecting me from the coronavirus, right? The blood of Jesus covers me and it's not going to touch me. Now, that's never a promise that the Bible makes. The promise, in fact, is that suffering will happen for Christians. But it's only temporary. As Peter says here, now for a little while, you have been grieved by various trials. It's only temporary. And not in the sense of like, oh, well, you know, this too shall pass. Uh, we'll, we'll get a vaccine and then life goes back to normal. 
but actually in the sense that the whole of life and all of the suffering that happens in life is only temporary. It's what, 70, 80, 90 years? Whatever suffering we face in this life is only temporary in the light of eternity. Put it this way. I've got a rope here. Imagine that all of life is like this this yellow section here of this rope. All 60, 70, 80, 90, even 100 years is just like this tiny section of rope here. But what's to follow is eternity, right? And eternity without suffering, without struggle, without pain, without futility, without disease, with God and his people forever and ever and ever. That is the promise of the Bible, that this suffering really is only temporary in light of eternity to come. And that's true even if it really challenges us in the meantime. Read on in verse 7. You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And perhaps you know what the beginning of verse 7 is talking about. If you're someone who's been a Christian for a while, you've maybe experienced this, that suffering does indeed test the genuineness of our faith. You know, will I keep trusting in Jesus? Will I keep trusting that my future really is secure and that God's promises really are true? And whether it's a financial issue or a health issue or loneliness or even being on death's door or whatever else, these things really can test us. They test our faith. I felt that often. And if you're a follower of Jesus, certainly you have too. But the challenges are only temporary. In the end, if we keep trusting that Jesus will indeed raise us to eternal life, then our faith will be proven genuine when all is said and done. We'll see the tested genuineness of our faith, that it's the real deal. When Jesus returns, we'll see that our hope in him hasn't disappointed us. Uh, He really is alive and he comes to give us life forever. Just picture that day when Jesus returns. That will be a day where we see how good God is and we praise him and thank him. That's what this verse is saying. Suffering is only temporary, whatever the challenges are. Now, if we genuinely do have that kind of hope, then it radically reorients the way that we respond to suffering now. Just imagine this. Imagine that in one year's time, so on April the 12th, 2021, you're going to receive $10 million. Right? Unthinkable. Unimaginable. But just imagine that's been promised to you and it's definitely coming. How is that going to shape what the next year looks like for you? What if you have to work a job that you hate? What if you lose your job? What if all the money in your bank account just depletes and evaporates? What if you have your health tank? What if everything goes wrong? How will you respond? 
Oh, will you be looking forward to that day? You'll be looking forward to April 12, 2021. And you'll be thinking, gee, this is hard right now, but I've got $10 million coming. It's going to be okay. Right? And so too, when it comes with the promise of God to raise us to life as Jesus has been raised to life. Suffering right now might hurt us, but it won't crush us because something better is coming. And that means today of all days, we don't need to despair. This can actually be a day of great joy for the person who trusts in Jesus. You know, even though we can't gather, even though we, you might have lost your job or face an uncertain future or you're, you're worried about the way the world is going or what might happen to you, instead of despair or worry or loneliness or fear, we can have joy. Today's Easter Sunday. And so look to the past. Jesus is risen. Look to the present. Jesus is alive. Look to the future. Jesus is coming. He is coming to raise you to life and bring you home. This is true and living hope. Where do you get your hope from? Where do you get your hope from? Do you have this hope? Are you sure? Yeah, you know, one of the really good things, it feels weird to say, but one of the good things about the coronavirus is that we actually have more time at the moment to reflect. It's like life is just hitting the pause button for many of us. Yeah, you know, we're not stuck in traffic. We're not running the kids around to soccer practice and music practice and whatever else. Maybe we're not up to our eyeballs in work. We actually have a very unique time right now. Who knows if we'll ever have a time like this in our lives again. We actually have this amazing moment where we can reflect on some of the deeper things in life. And so reflect on that question. Where do you get your hope from? Is it hope that will disappoint you? Or is it hope that you can stand on? Do you have the hope that we've been talking about today? Do you trust personally that Jesus died for you and rose again for you to bring you forgiveness and eternal life. Do you know where you're headed when you die? And perhaps you're willing to investigate that question. You know, maybe something has grabbed you today and you're thinking, gee, I would like to just investigate that further. If that's you, then like I said, there'll be a podcast coming up on uh, Facebook and on the website, the Savo. But another thing you might like to do is just read one of the books of the Bible. Um, start with one of the Gospels. Read through, for example, the Gospel of Mark. It literally would only take you two hours, maybe three if you're really slow like me. All right? Uh, if you read that and, and jot down some questions that you've got along the way, remember Christianity puts its head on the chopping block and says, come take a swing, see if these things are true. Write down your questions, pull the text apart, see what you think, and then chat to someone that you know is a Christian. It could be one of us. Uh, we would love to help you answer whatever questions you've got, walk alongside you in that as you investigate things to see if they're true. Um, you could uh, give a call to one of us or get uh, in contact with us through the church website. Uh, but go read something like the Gospel of Mark, come with your questions and have some help to, to think it through. But maybe you're someone this morning who's done that investigation. Maybe you've been investigating for weeks or months or even years 
And perhaps this morning is actually the time when you walk over the line and trust in Jesus to give you this true and living hope. Now, I just want you to picture for a moment, uh, imagine the day when all this coronavirus stuff is all said and done, right? So we're kind of cooped up in our homes at the moment and we're not going to places we don't need to, but one day this is all going to be over. And imagine on that day, um, there are people that are going to kind of be tentatively looking out their windows, tentatively opening their doors, tentatively getting into their cars and just kind of checking things out to see if things are actually safe. And it's probably actually going to take a while before people feel comfortable going to the movies again or getting on a plane again. But the day will come probably when those things will feel okay. It's going to take some investigation. It's going to take checking to see if things are okay. But one day that day will come. But what would you think about someone who stayed in their home and didn't leave ever? They thought, oh, gee, look, I just don't know. They never actually walked over the line, the threshold of their door, and went out into the world. Well, here's what I would want to say to that person. I'd want to say, you've looked out your window. You've looked out your door. You've heard the news. You've checked. You've double-checked. You might not be 100% certain, but trust the direction of the evidence. Step outside the door and into a brand new world. And if that's you this morning, that perhaps you've done this investigation and you're not 100% certain yet, but there's so much behind you, then trust the direction of the evidence. Perhaps this morning is the day that you grab hold of this true hope in Jesus Christ. And if that's you, can you please call someone this morning that you know is a Christian and they'll help you understand how to take that step? Feel free to call one of us if you don't know someone else. Um, our contact details are on the website. You can send an email um, or call a friend or someone else that you know. But they would love to help you understand what it means to take that step. And finally, I just want to encourage you if you do already trust in Jesus. Here is the great truth that you can stand on. Whatever you might be facing today, whatever you might face in the weeks and months ahead, Jesus is risen. Your future is secure. Your suffering is only temporary. And you stand on solid hope. Today, Easter Sunday, is a day to celebrate. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Would you join me in praying? Lord, as we've heard these things this morning, we pray, please, that you would open our hearts and minds and eyes and ears to the truth of what you want to say to us. Please be an encouragement to those who need it. And please, Lord, we pray even, uh, give the gift of new faith to those who are seeking you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.